0: Before we come to our time of teaching, I'd like to remind you that this coming Saturday at 11 o'clock in the chapel, we will be celebrating the life and remembering John Arms, the husband of Gene Arms. So please keep their family in prayer this week and all are welcome to attend that service. That will be this Saturday the 24th at 11 o'clock. And that brings to mind for me today that While we celebrate all the dads who are here, the fathers in our lives, there are folks here today for whom this day creates a little bit of heartache. There are children, perhaps, whose fathers were not a big part of their lives. There are children here today who are remembering their dads who have gone on ahead of them and have joined our Lord in heaven. And there are mothers and wives here today who are missing the fathers of their children. So let us keep them in prayer this day, as as most of the world celebrates, there is a bit of an ache for some folks. Our message this morning is about, actually comes to us from a biblical character, a father that's not that well known. When we think of fathers in the Bible, we think of, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, who was the father of King Saul. We think of that borrowed dad from the New Testament, Joseph, who loved his wife Mary and who raised our Lord and Savior, Jesus, when he was a little child. But there were less spectacular and more ordinary fathers in our scriptures. Men who teach us things about what fathers do in our day-to-day lives to pass the faith on to us. One such man is the man you heard Felix read about earlier, a man named Jairus. Now, you heard the whole story of Jairus and what he did when he stepped out in faith to save his daughter. But Mark did something interesting in his gospel when he told that story. The story of Jairus and the daughter who was dying and who Jesus went to raise and to heal is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Mark's rendition of the story, he interrupts it midstream with another story, a story within a story, and our gospel writers never did anything by accident. The story begins, as Felix read it to you, with Jairus coming to Jesus and falling at his feet. Now this was a man who was a synagogue leader. He was an important man, not used to falling at anyone's feet. And when Jesus agreed to go with him, there was a throng of people around Jesus, and that brings us to the story that Mark interrupted the story of Jairus and his daughter with, and that was the story about the woman who was hemorrhaging. You'll find it in Mark 5 if if you want to follow along. I'm not going to read the story to you, I'm just going to recount it to you. But it's a story of a woman who had been bleeding for many years, and for that reason she was an outcast from her community because she was considered impure. She was destitute because she had spent every nickel that she had trying to get physicians and doctors to heal her, and they were not able to. And so she timidly approached Jesus as he was traveling to Jairus' house, and she touched his robe, and our Lord immediately felt the power go out from him, and he stopped. He stopped on his journey to identify who had reached out for him, to bless her for her faith, and to assure her that she would be healed. There is an important lesson In that story that interrupted the story that it is embedded within about Jairus and his daughter. Jairus was a really important guy. He didn't carry on. He didn't get offended. He didn't try to pull rank on this woman. By all accounts that we have, he did nothing but wait patiently for Jesus. We don't know. Jesus taught all those around him that the needs of this poor, destitute, impure woman were just as important as the needs of that leader and synagogue man. And so we're reminded by the story within the story this morning that a father's humility and patience in waiting for Jesus to help another is an example that we can follow. But the story of Jairus teaches us some other things. He had to give up a lot to go ask Jesus for help. He had to let go of some things that would have been deeply embedded in his character. As you recall from reading the scriptures, the synagogue leaders were not big fans of our Lord Jesus. They were suspicious of him. He threatened their power. Some of them thought he was a blasphemer. And yet this synagogue leader let go of that prejudging. He let go of his prejudice, the prejudice that would have been reinforced by his fellow synagogue leaders, and stepped out in faith to seek help from the one, the only one who could cure his daughter. He also let go of his pride. As I described earlier, he didn't carry on or pull rank when his journey back to his home with Jesus, who was going to save his daughter, he hoped, was interrupted by one of the least and the most lost of society. We read many stories in the Bible where important men send messengers to make their requests, sent messengers to do their bidding. But Jairus came and found Jesus on his own. He gave up his pride. It reminds me a little of the story of Naaman. Remember him? He was a man, a military leader struck with leprosy and he went to see the prophet Elijah and he was kind of full of himself and Elijah wouldn't see him he delivered the message to him about what he needed to do to be healed through a messenger and this great general got a little bit unhappy because Elijah said go dump yourself in the Jordan River and you'll be clean and he thought to himself well why would I go to that dirty filthy river there's cleaner rivers back where I'm from but his companions encouraged him to let go of his pride and to dip himself in the river as the prophet Elisha had told him. And sure enough, his leprosy was healed. Perhaps the synagogue leader, Jairus, knew that story. And he let go of his pride and he came to Jesus himself in person, expressing his faith that Jesus could heal his daughter. He also let go of his dignity. The scripture tells us that he threw himself at our Lord's feet. This was a man who was used to having people beg him for things, not the other way around. And yet he threw himself at our Lord's feet, a demonstration of incredible humility that some would have found undignified. But this father wasn't focused on the importance of his dignity on that day he also let go of the world's advice as Felix read to us after Jesus was done in his conversation and his healing of the bleeding woman messengers approached Jairus and told him don't bother the teacher anymore don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter has died But Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jairus didn't listen to the messengers. He didn't listen to the message of the world. He let go of the world's advice. He chose Jesus' advice to keep believing. He chose Jesus' hope instead of the despair normally caused. By death, he chose Jesus' calm serenity over the chaos and the world's distress. And last of all, a little later in the story, we see Jairus letting go of the opinions of his family and neighbors and friends. He got to his home and the people were wailing and carrying on In the Jewish tradition, there was a great commotion upon the death of someone. People tore their clothes, they put ashes on their head, there would be wailing and there would be crying. And Jesus stepped into all of this in Jairus' home and said, what's all this commotion about? Stop it. She's not dead. She's only asleep and the people scoffed at him. They laughed at him. Those presumably because they were at Jairus' home or his friend's perhaps family members, his neighbors, maybe even his wife. And yet Jairus persisted and continued to believe at the risk of his friends thinking he was a fool. How would he have felt, how would he have felt if Jesus had not performed the miracle? But he clung to his faith and he taught a lesson to all who were present children and adults alike. Jairus was a father who taught those around him that it was important to let go of prejudice, of pride, of dignity, and the world's advice in the interest of passing on the faith. And in this case, his faith was life-giving for his daughter. What greater gift could he have given her? He left his daughter in distress to seek Jesus. He believed that Jesus could heal, and he persisted after the word that his daughter's death came. And I will tell you, those who persist in their faith after the word of death comes teach a very important lesson to those around them. The example that Jairus set for us still matters today. It might even be as necessary as it's ever been because the world still needs examples of people who let go of prejudice and pride and dignity in the interest of their faith. The world still needs men and women who see all others as worthy of love and care. And I believe that Jairus did that when he did not interfere with the bleeding woman who approached Jesus. The world needs men and women who teach children that God will take them as they are. Jairus was part of a group of people who had persecuted Jesus, and yet when the chips were down, he came to Jesus knowing that God would take him as he was. Dirt, sin, and prejudice aside. We live in a world where kids need examples of what faith looks like, how to trust in the faith of hopelessness, how to be calm in the face of turmoil, how to be steadfast when they receive bad advice from their friends. Who will provide those examples for our kids? And they are our kids. All of them. When children come before us to be baptized, we make a commitment as a church to raise them in the faith. They become our kids. They're not just the children of their biological or adoptive parents any longer. Coaches, neighbors, mentors, teachers all have a role to play in the lives of children. I imagine a day sometime in the near future when our carpenters apprentices who are working across the street making toys will have under their wings middle school children who are being aided after school here with their homework, who will have a time for recreation and crafts. Maybe those men and women Will help pass on the faith to those children in quiet ways by showing them that even while those children are being served here at this church, they can be of service to younger children by making toys. All kinds of adults affect the lives of our children, not just biological moms and dads. The psalmist teaches us what God intends for us to convey to the next generation. This is from Psalm 145, verses 1 through 4. And the psalmist said, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And now listen to this verse. One generation commends your works to another. One generation commends your works to another. How will the younger generations learn unless they're taught by the older generations? We must remember that faith still requires us to act. Jairus didn't just sit at home and contemplate what he would do, he acted He put his position and his power subordinate to the needs of his daughter. He went to Jesus in a very public display and asked for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. It requires us to make a choice and to give up the world's perspective. When we show that kind of faith, it leads the world to see a revelation of God's power. His own power and his power demonstrated through us When we demonstrate that kind of faith, we show others how to persevere through the worst moments of our lives. When we show that kind of faith, we demonstrate our belief in the power of the resurrection defeat to defeat sin and death forever and ever. And what greater gift can we give to those who are grieving over the loss? Of a loved one, especially the loss of a child. We live in a place that prides itself on freedom of religion. But as many of you, I'm sure, will agree, our freedom of religion has become freedom from religion, and frankly, I don't want to be free from my faith. Our kids are criticized sometimes for expressing their faith or praying in public places or public schools. We have all seen the stories in the newspaper about the class valedictorian who's chastised because they open their remarks with a prayer. We hear athletes credit Jesus for their touchdown or their winning basket and then live lives that are really not worthy of emulation. Parents are pressured every day to earn more. So they can provide more and give more when really what children need is their presence with a C, not more presence with a T. Many families, as I alluded to before, live without a strong male figure at home. It's a fact of life. Here within a five-mile radius of this church, an enormous percentage of the families are single-parent households. The work we do at Open Arms, the work we do at the Jubilee provides mentors and role models and a loving environment for those families. We help those single moms. We help those single dads. But we help those children know that they are our kids too. So who will be the gyrus among us? I read a book and preparation for this sermon, or parts of it anyway, was by a, uh, a couple named Carrie and Chris Shook. It's called One Month to Live. Neither of them was dying, but what they were doing, they were, they were speculating about what would be most important to us if we knew we only had 30 days left. We only had one month. What would we want to gain, and what would we want to give? And the end of that book was about creating a lasting legacy, And the first thing they said was important to creating a lasting legacy was planting for the future. And as I was reading the words they wrote, and this, hang with me on this, because it's going to sound a little silly, I was suddenly channeling channeling country western music. As a little aside, um, when I married my husband Bruce in 1981, he really liked the crooners. Sinatra was his guy, and I thought, yuck. Sorry for Sinatra fans. I liked rock and roll, and Bruce thought, yuck. (laughs) And so, like any smart couple that wanted to spend a long time together, we lived in Oklahoma, we adopted country western. (laughs) okay, And we could agree on that. But I love country western music because sometimes it tells stories that are so relevant. And there is this story I want to share with you. It's a song, but I'm going to tell it as a story. It's about a dad. The song was sung by a man named Rodney Adkins, and it's called Watching You. And in this song, father's driving down the road, and his little son is in the back seat in his chair that little kids ride in, and his dad had just gotten the little boy a Happy Meal. And someone cut the father off, and he had to hit the brakes, and the dad said a naughty word under his breath. And a moment later, he heard his son repeat that naughty word, and he said, son, where did you learn that word? That isn't nice for you to say that. And the son said, Dad, I'm going to grow up to be like you. I want to be strong. I'm watching you. Mm-hmm. So the father got home, and he went to a private place, and he knelt down and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm such a fool. Help me be a better example. And I'm paraphrasing the song. Okay. That night, when it was bedtime, this daddy took his little son's hand, and they went up to his bedroom, to bed. And the father watched as his little boy knelt down and folded his hands and said a prayer. And when he was done praying, the father looked at the little boy and said, son, where did you learn to pray like that? And the little boy said, daddy, I'm watching you. They pick up everything we say. They copy our example I'm amazed at how many children's gestures remind me of parents who've gone home to be with the Lord. They watch what we do. This book, One Month to Live, also tells us that we need to use eternal building materials if we are going to build a lasting faith and our children, and they analogize with a sandcastle. Little kids go to the beach, they build a sandcastle right there, and a wave comes in, and the sandcastle is knocked away. It doesn't take very long to build, and the building materials aren't very strong. But right next to that sandcastle, just a few yards away on the beach, is a mighty condo structure built with concrete and poured reinforced steel. And when the winds come and the waves come, that condo structure stands there and remains strong. Our faith needs to be built like that. It takes time to build a condo versus a sandcastle. And it takes time to build our faith. It takes stronger materials than sand. That's what our children need to see from their dads and their moms and the adults in their lives. And lastly, they say if we want to leave a lasting legacy, we need to think about what lasting impression we'll make. Will our kids remember us reading our Bible or reading our email? Talking with them or texting to someone else? The other day I was in a restaurant with a friend, we were in a booth. And in the booth right behind us, there was a man and two small children. And from the conversation that was going on, I could tell this was a dad who had his children for the weekend. And the boys were probably eight, nine years old. They were there in the presence of their dad who couldn't get off his phone. And my heart was breaking for those boys and for that man who was missing a great opportunity to leave a lasting impression. Are we going to build our careers or are we going to build character? Is Sunday morning going to be a time for golf or tennis or a time for church and worship? Paul, the Apostle Paul, sometimes used the analogy of a race when talking about life. There's different kinds of races that we can run. We can run the rat race governed by ambition, possessions, power, and prestige. Or we can run the kind of race that Paul talked about in his second letter to Timothy. And, you know, I love Timothy and Paul's relationship because Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he always called him son. He was his mentor. He was his example. He raised him to become a minister. He encouraged him. He gave him responsibility. He taught him how to be a man after God's own heart. This is what Paul said to Timothy in his second letter, chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Dads, moms, childless adults who have children in your lives, what race will the children who are watching you see you run it's father's day our kids need adults who take on the character of our loving god the god who jesus called abba father it's a day when we should celebrate our dads but some kids don't have dads in their lives so who will fill the void if you're a dad Be like Jairus. If you're not a dad, if you're a woman, be like Jairus. Set an example of faith that is life-giving for your children, others' children, our children. This coming week, the week after this one, there are many chaperones going to go on the trip to TVR with our young people. And a whole bunch of them don't have children who are going to be on that trip. Those chaperones have decided to be like Paul was for our little Timothys and Timothy Epps. We can all do those things in the life of the children. And so I'm going to turn to close today to another country western song. I love this song. It's a song by George Strait called The Breath You Take. It begins, again, a scene with a father and a son. The son is playing a Little League baseball game, and he hits a double, and he's standing on second base, and he looks up, and there's Daddy in the stands. And when the game is over, he's so proud that his dad saw him hit the double, and he said, but Dad, I thought you had a plane to catch. And the dad said, I did, son. Later in the song, A grandson is being born to that little, the son is being born to that little boy, the father's grandson. And the little boy, now a man and a father for the first time, hears a voice behind him as he's standing there at the window in the hospital, looking at his son. He says, "I made it, son." And the son said, "Dad, you didn't have to come. That was a long way." The chorus of the song expresses what we need to think about as we live our lives in the presence of children, whether they are ours or others. This is what George Strait sings. I'm not going to sing it because I like it way too much. But, but this is what George Strait says. Life's not the breath you take, the breathing in and out that gets you through the day. Ain't what it's all about. You just might miss the point trying to win the race. Life's not the breath you take, but the moment's to take your breath away. We need to give our children moments that take their breath away, eternal moments, moments that will raise them up in the faith in a world that scoffs at their faith. It's Father's Day. Let's honor our Heavenly Father by being examples of faith, courage, obedience, and trust to our kids.